It's time for Herd Mentality, the weekly episode where you control the discussion today on Locked on Bills. You are Locked on Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network. And I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Tuesday to you, and thank you for making Locked On Bills your first listen every day. And as a reminder to you, we are free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. Well, folks, it's time for Herd Mentality. We have a ton of great questions lined up, stuff involving the draft, free agency ideas, and this one that we're going to lead off with regarding the Buffalo Bills and defensive line rotation. And I've been just getting a ton of questions about defensive line rotation in the Buffalo Bills. And so I want to talk about it here. And we'll use Chris's question. But again, I would say maybe 10 different people sent in a question about defensive line rotation. And it's funny that Chris starts his question by saying, every offseason there is a conversation around whether or not the idea of rotating the D-line actually works. With the resources we have spent on the line, and the need to try and get cheaper, do you think they will abandon this idea of rotation and play the four main players closer to 80% of the snaps and fill in the 20% with cheap rookies or replacement-level rookies? All right, so let's talk about this. And because I've received so many questions, I had to figure out a way that I could measure defensive line rotation frequency across the NFL because I needed to find out if the Bills were actually rotating defensive linemen at a clip that is unlike any other team in the NFL. And here's what I learned. The answer to that is no. And so here's how I went about discovering this information. The criteria that I use for measuring defensive line rotation frequency is I took every defensive end and defensive tackle in the NFL, and I had a list of guys that played in a minimum of eight games. So every defensive end and defensive tackle in the NFL that played in at least eight games And then of those players, how many averaged at least 10 snaps per game? So my objective here was to find out how many players each team had at defensive end or defensive tackle that played in at least eight games and averaged at least 10 snaps per game. And so here's what I learned is that the Buffalo Bills have nine such players. Again, eight games played at least. Minimum of 10 snaps per game. They have nine players that meet that criteria, which is right in the middle of the pack. You had one team average, excuse me, had one team with six players that met the criteria. You had two with seven. You had seven teams with eight. You had nine teams with nine, which is where the bills fall. You had five teams that had 10 players meet the criteria, six with 11 and two with 12. So 13 teams in the NFL had more frequent defensive line rotation than the Buffalo Bills. The Bills are middle of the pack. They're not doing anything uncommon in the landscape of today's NFL. Everybody's rotating defensive linemen. The range was one team with six all the way up to two teams with 12. And most teams were 8, 9, or 10. 
which is exactly where the Bills fall at nine. The Bills aren't rotating their defensive linemen any more than any other team. They're middle of the pack. And I don't know how much of the Super Bowl coverage you guys paid attention to, but one of the big storylines for the Eagles, who won the NFC, were in the Super Bowl, was the frequency of their defensive line rotation. And the Eagles are number one in the NFL. They had 12 players meet that criteria of at least eight games played and averaging 10 snaps per game. 12, number one, them and the Eagles, or excuse me, them and the 49ers were one and two with 12. And Jonathan Gannon, the Eagles defensive coordinator, who is now the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, this is what he said about the defensive line rotation. He said, it's been, it's really been one of our secret sauces. I do think that's one of the major reasons that we had the production that we had this year is because guys are playing less snaps, they're fresher, They go in, and they can come in and compete at a high level. Keeping in mind, this Eagles defense had over 70 sacks during the regular season. 70. A historically great defensive line pass rush. They were the team in the NFL with the most frequent defensive line rotation, along with the 49ers, who, oh, by the way, their their defensive coordinator, D'Amico Ryans, now the head coach of the Houston Texans. Robert Sala, the head coach of the Jets, former defensive coordinator with the 49ers, really turned that Jets defense around this past year. Really good unit, right? We saw it against the Bills. This is what he said about defensive line rotation. The objective really for the entire D-line is to not have any of them play more than 40 snaps in a game. That's the goal. We asked so much out of our D-line that if you can go four plays in a row or play 90%, then you're probably BSing on the football field in our mind and you're not executing the technique as it's designed. They don't want their guys to play more than 40 snaps in a game. The Bills had three defensive linemen, Ed Oliver, Von Miller, Daquan Jones, average over 40 snaps per game. And then Gregory Rousseau right underneath that at 36.8. So the point being here, the Bills aren't rotating their defensive linemen any more than most teams in the NFL. They're right in the middle of the pack. Nine players met that criteria, just like nine other teams. 13 more frequent than the Bills. And it's funny because the two teams with the highest frequency of defensive line rotation, the Eagles and the 49ers, their defensive coordinators just became head coaches. Teams above the Bills, the Packers, Jaguars, Vikings, Jets, Steelers, Cardinals, Cowboys, Broncos, Giants, Seahawks, Bucks, Eagles and 49ers. So the Bills don't, again, the point being, the Bills are in that group of teams with nine players that meet that criteria. Right in the middle of the pack. So, again, the point that I'm really trying to drive home here is that the Bills are not rotating their defensive linemen in a way that is unlike the rest of the NFL. They're middle of the pack. Let's move on to this next one from Cameron. Cameron says, I've been seeing some things online saying the Bills should let Tremaine Edmonds walk and sign newly released Bobby Wagner for a season or two for a fairly low-cost deal. I think it could be a fun idea, but overall I would rather have Edmonds mainly because of the high athletic gifts and leadership of our defense. But if we are, we, if we are in need of a new middle linebacker, Bobby Wagner could be cool. I think I see it the same way as you, Cameron. Yeah, it'd be cool to have Bobby Wagner if you don't bring back Tremaine Edmonds. but I think what's really interesting about bringing this up is that if you don't bring back Tremaine Edmonds, if you don't give him 
this massive uh, 16, 17, 18, 19, maybe even $20 million a year that I think he's going to get, well, then you can open up a whole new world of possibilities. You can go after the Bobby Wagners and try to get several players that are of consequence to make up for what you lost in Tremaine Edmonds, right? If you lose Tremaine Edmonds, it doesn't mean that you're stuck with what you have. You're going to find other players. And so I think Bobby Wagner would absolutely be on that list for me. Bobby O'Karaki with the Colts is on that list. Alex Anzalone with the Lions, that's a player on the list. Devin Bush from the Steelers. There's players that intrigue me that will cost less than Tremaine Edmonds, and then you can also get additional players with the money that you're going to pay Tremaine Edmonds to kind of fill out your roster. So there's your silver lining is if you lose Tremaine Edmonds, it opens up more more possibilities to add more players um, at other positions, including finding a middle linebacker. But again, I I want Tremaine, right? I like his skill set. I like what he means for the defense. I like the trajectory. I like the investment. I like the draft develop resign philosophy. James says, as Robert Woods has just been released by the Titans and the Bills are looking for a slot option, would it be a beneficial move to sign him in free agency? He has rushing ability and has been on the team before. Do you think he would be an affordable option for the Bills in 2023? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I think Robert Woods coming in and being the Bills slot receiver next year or maybe even a couple years would make a lot of sense. I think that's exactly the type of route running, middle of the field catching ability uh, that I'm looking for in that slot player. And I think if you get a Robert Woods on the team, it's only going to help a Gabe Davis. It's only going to help a Khalil Shakir in using his versatility. And of course, Diggs is going to be Diggs. But Robert Woods for sure fits the criteria that I'm looking for in terms of a investment in the slot position. So I'm, I'm in on that idea. Absolutely. Have a bunch more to get to here in just a moment. A lot of good draft ideas. Uh, including Bijan Robinson coming right up. But first, I need to tell you about Built Bar, the best-tasting protein bar on the planet. And, um, you know, we're all trying to eat a little healthier these days, right? The holidays are uh, somewhat relatively in the rearview mirror, right? We're a little bit past it, and hopefully you're still trying to eat healthy. Well, the great thing about Built Bars is that they're healthy and they're delicious. I mean, these things are super good. Like I said, best-tasting protein bars on the planet. They're covered in 100% real chocolate. They have so many great flavors. But the thing is, they're also healthy. These macros are off the charts. Only 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein per bar. And for years, I've been telling you, go to Built.com, order yourself a box. And you can still do that, but you can also pick one up off the shelf at your local Walmart or Sam's Club. So check them out, Built.com, Walmart, Sam's Club, and you'll thank me later because Built Bars are the best. All right, the next one today comes from Alex. Alex says, I am struggling to understand why so many mock drafts are projecting Buffalo to either draft Bijan Robinson or in another mock, the running back from Alabama. That's Jameer Gibbs, Bijan Robinson, the running back from Texas. You've, uh, me, he's referring to, consistently mock either offensive line or wide receiver to Buffalo, which I hope is in the future. Are you using a different metric than the other draft analysts to make your mock? Or are you basing this on intuition and observation? So here's the deal, right? Mock drafts at this point in the process are thought exercises, and they really they really are up until about the last week or so when you really try to predict the thing. They're thought exercises. You're trying to slot players where you think they make the most sense and where you try to slot the players you think are going to go high to, to teams that are picking high. And I still think that people widely look at the bills and feel like they're running back position is 
unresolved. And I think that people look at the Bills and get excited about adding B. John Robinson to the mix. And I'll be honest with you, at pick 27, it's something that I'm interested in too because I think B. John Robinson's one of the best three players in the draft. I think he's special. And so I don't think there's a world that B. John Robinson gets to pick 27. I mean, if Travis Etienne and Najee Harris are top 25 picks, if Josh Jacobs is a top 25 pick, B. John Robinson's going a lot higher. He's a special back. And I think whether it's Atlanta, Philly, Detroit, there's teams, Baltimore, there are teams along the way that just make too much sense for him. He's too good of a talent to get to 27. And so I think where analysts are having a hard time is putting him in a spot where they're comfortable with it. And so they get to the end of the draft and they're like, oh, crap, I still have B. John Robinson available. Better give him to somebody. Oh, here's the Bills. This makes sense. But in reality, I think B. John Robinson's probably at least a top 20 pick, probably a top 15. Like I said, I think he's one of the three best players in the draft if you take away the positional value. So I think this is just a, a, a consequence of just people trying to fill out mock drafts. It's early. Some you know, uncertainty about the Bills running back situation, kind of fantasizing about the idea of B. John Robinson in this offense, and that's what's led to it. But I, again, I, I've been mocking offensive line and wide receiver to the Bills because I don't think that B. John Robinson's in play this late in the draft. But I'd certainly have to think about it, to be honest with you. If I got to a mock draft, if I was writing a mock draft where I had, you know, Bijan still available and the Bills are picking, you know, you'd have to think about it. And I think that's where people are are finding themselves. But I think in reality, Bijan's going high and he deserves to go high. Matt says, which players are you looking most forward to seeing at the Combine and why? It's a good question. We got the Combine this week. And so I, I like the opportunity here to, to talk a little bit of draft stuff. Now, I could I could probably say the answer here is, well, how many guys were invited? 319? I'm excited for 319 of them because I've been studying these players, and I want the measurements, I want the athletic testing, I want all that stuff. So I'm excited about everybody, but if I had to kind of give you two names that really pop for me that I'm going to be interested in that have a bill slant to them, uh, the first guy is, is a, uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba from Ohio State, who I think in so many ways is a perfect slot receiver, route running. Uh, spatial awareness, processing on the fly. There's a lot of option routes baked into that Ohio State offense that I think will set them set them up well to to go to the NFL and compete. Uh, I like the hands. I like the ball skills. Just a very crafty, smooth dude, right? I really like him. I, I think where his draft stock will be defined is in his speed, right? I don't I don't think this guy has a ton of speed. Um, and so if he pushes for like the four sixes where I think he could be, you know, that's going to be um, a a good thing for the bills if they want to get him later in the first round. But if this guy runs like four fours, he's going to go high. So I think the impact of Jackson Smith and Jigba's 40 yard dash really fascinates me. The other guy is Cincinnati wide receiver, another wide receiver, Tyler Scott. He's like my favorite. You don't pick a receiver in the first round, but you get Tyler Scott in the second round and you really like that. Well, Tyler Scott's going to run really, really fast. So I'm, I'm curious to see him run fast. I want him to validate 4-3 speed. But for him, it's more about the drills. I want to see his hands. He doesn't have terrible hands. I think he has good catch point instincts. But securing catches through contact, 
squeezing the ball, all that type of stuff. I want to see how natural his hands are in the gauntlet drill and the various drills that'll be uh, cha- he'll be challenged with at the combine. So I want to see Tyler Scott in the drills, and of course I want to see the speed, and then of course for uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba, I want to see his speed. But I mean, you, again, it's I'm interested in every player, especially the corners. Right, that's a stopwatch position. It matters for the D line. I want to get measurements. I want arm length. I want mass on a lot of these players. The linebackers, I want to see what type of speed they have. It's a really good tight end class. I want to see where the athletic testing comes in so we can start separating these players. So I'm interested in all of it, but uh, Tyler Scott and Jackson Smith and Jigbar are probably towards the top of the list for me. Tom says, with the recent questions surrounding the Bills and their use of recently acquired players, such as Naheem Hines, Khalil Shakir, Terrell Bernard, Kyrie Elam, could it be a sign of being a McDermott possibly not being on the same page as they once were? Not looking to be a conspiracy theorist by any means, but it seems like there may be some disconnect recently on who we bring in Bean's job and how we're using them McDermott's job. Well, Tom, I I can see the reason for bringing this up. I think it's a fair thing to bring up. I'm not sure I've, I, I'm able to validate this, um, but I, I think the best way I can answer this is by looking at the players that you brought up as disconnect possibilities and, and talk about it for just a moment. With Naheem Hines as a, a player that you thought would have a bigger role in the offense. Certainly I did. I think there was a redundancy in his skill set as it relates to James Cook and their best opportunity to get production from him was in the return game. And so I think because he succeeded there, because James Cook turned it on, that his role in the offense really wasn't, wasn't a thing at all. So I think that's what I would say about that. For Khalil Shakir, I mean, we're talking about a fifth-round rookie wide receiver that wound up playing more as the season went along. I mean, he actually was pretty productive in the playoffs. So I'm, I'm not sure if I see disconnect there. I mean, we're talking about a mid-day three pick. Terrell Bernard, you brought up. I mean, I think a big reason why this guy was drafted is because of Sean McDermott's relationship with Baylor head coach Dave Aranda. We, we've heard him talk about that. And so the disconnect is that, well, third round pick, you think of that as a developmental starter, but if they bring back Tremaine Edmonds, you don't really see the path for him getting on the field. Some questions about whether or not he could actually replace Tremaine Edmonds. Looking more like a special teams player, reserve type guy. So is the disconnect between Bean and McDermott or us as fans and analysts trying to justify that type of player being used with a third round pick. I don't know that it speaks to disconnect between Bean and McDermott. And then for Kyer Elam, I mean, it was a really new role for him stylistically coming from Florida where he was a press man corner to now being in the NFL and having to, you know, play zone concepts and really involve himself in the run game in a different way than he's ever been asked to do before. Wound up playing a fair amount of football, but it's not like he was not playing, and a, but like there was another rookie that was playing was Christian Benford, right? So to me, that does speak to connect to a connection between Bean and McDermott. So I don't, I don't know if, I don't know if these examples really tell the story of disconnect between Bean and McDermott. I can understand why you're bringing this up, but I don't know, I don't know if I buy into that. Everything seems like to be like they're very much complimentary of each other when you listen to them them speak 
you know, I think McDermott's really spoken highly of Bean and, or excuse me, yeah, both ways. It goes both ways. They speak very highly of each other still. So I don't know if there's any disconnect there. I understand the question. Don't think I can be the one that validates it. Jeff says the two most exciting prospects I've seen in this draft that is on the realistic side for the Bills to get for me is B. John Robinson and Jackson Smith and Jigba. Even though they say you shouldn't draft a running back in the first round, I believe Bijan might be an exception. What one of these prospects would you rather see in the Bills' offense? Diggs and Smith and Jigba, to me, would be special, but so would Robinson, Cook, and Hines. If both are sitting at 27, who are you taking if you were Brandon Bean? I know either. I know if either is still at 27, that would be a miracle. Actually, a miracle would be if Bean can land both. Yeah, I don't think he's going to get both. Um, I don't, I'm not entirely convinced either gets to pick 27. I think Jackson Smith and Jigba would potentially help the team in ways they need it more, but B. John Robinson's the better player. I mean, B. John Robinson, I think, is a special running back. Size, athleticism, power, vision, creativity, contact balance, receiving skill set, pass pro ability. He has it all. Really rare type guy. Where Jackson Smith and Jigba is more of a crafty, savvy player that's dynamic in ways that aren't necessarily movement skills and athleticism. Wins with smarts and quickness and um, processing ability and, and technique as opposed to just being twitchy and athletic and a burner. So, I mean, Bijan's a better player. Jackson Smith and Jigba probably helps the team more to be honest with you but i like i said earlier jsn is is exactly the type of slot receiver that i think this offense needs and Bijan robinson is the type of running back that just about any team in the nfl should want to have the question is the opportunity cost first round running backs all that type of stuff but i think he's one of the best three players in this draft the uh, the last one here comes from Drew, and Drew has a little bit of a three-pack here of, of draft questions that I want to dive into here to close things out. First one from Drew is, there's much discussion about how we need another wide receiver. Do you think the need is specific to wide receiver, or could, could it be any weapon? In particular, this draft class seems to be strong at tight end. If the board falls this way, would it be a good idea for the Bills to try to pick a tight end early and start running more 12 personnel sets? Good question. I do like this tight end class a ton. There's some really, really talented pass catchers. When you look at Michael Mayer from Notre Dame, you look at Darnell Washington from Georgia, Sam Laporta from Iowa, Dalton Kincaid from Utah, uh, Luke Musgrave from Oregon State, Tucker Kraft from South Dakota State. There are a ton of guys. I think everybody that I just said right there are players I expect to be picked in the first three rounds. I just don't think the Bills are going to run more 12 personnel to the point where it would make sense in the first round. I don't think they will do it. Now, I would love to see them pick a tight end in the third or fourth round, but I don't think it will happen in the first round because I don't think, I don't trust them to actually run more 12 personnel. So that's kind of where my mind goes. I think they need a receiver. Josh Allen's bread and butter is throwing the football to wide receivers. Guys that can separate, run good routes, and get open. That's been the bread and butter for Josh Allen. And so 
the idea of more 12 personnel, the idea of in- incorporating more tight ends, I like it. I just don't know if it's reality. We want the Bills to use the tight end that they're paying $14 million a season more, much less talking about adding one potentially in the first round. So I just don't, I don't know if it's going to happen. And that, that's why I kind of push back on this idea. Drew says, there is also much discussion about how we need another interior offensive lineman. However, many of the top interior offensive linemen seem to be considerably older than the players the Bills normally select in the first round. Would the Bills consider a first-round interior offensive lineman who is barely younger than Tremaine Edmonds? Maybe. I'm not going to say that they won't. I think you're probably referring to John Michael Schmitz out of Minnesota. I don't know if Joe Tippman from Wisconsin's old, but he's a player I like a ton. So we'll see. I don't know about I don't think Osiris Torrance is going to be a player the Bills are interested in. I know that I see him a lot on, on social media. Bills fans are interested in him. I don't think he's going to be in consideration for the Bills. So it's all about how do you maximize that pick, right? That's how you have to look at it. I don't think you can you can say, okay, is is our willingness to pick this player contingent on their age? It's about how do you take pick 27 in the first round of this draft and do the most that you can to help the Buffalo Bills. And if that's drafting a 24-year-old center from Minnesota because you feel like he's going to be a an impact starter for you on the offensive line and you can get six to eight good seasons out of him, then I I wouldn't hesitate. I think that's a good utilization of that pick. And so I think when you look at it through that lens of like all these parameters and criteria is good, but how do we use this pick to help the Buffalo Bills the most that we possibly can? I think that that helps you settle in on different possibilities. The last one from Drew and the last question today is several of the Bills, several of the Bills needs seem to be at positions that are generally considered non-premium. And he mentions interior offensive line, safety, running back, possibly linebacker. Is the concept of premium position still relevant in the NFL? I like to gauge how the NFL values positions by looking at the franchise tag amounts. For this year's tag, there are some outliers on the expensive side, and he mentions quarterback, and the inexpensive side, and he mentions specialists, running back, and tight end, but almost all the positions are about the same. Today's NFL, should teams still focus top picks on priority positions, or is almost any position worth considering in the first round? I um I believe in premium positions a lot, but to me that conversation's different in the top 10 as it is to the back 25% of the first round where the Bills have been picking lately. With those early picks, I want to lean into premium positions. With later first round picks, I'm I'm more open-minded. And so in a vacuum, yeah, I'm interested in tight ends. I'm interested in safeties, linebackers. I think when you have dynamic players at non-premium positions, it really makes your team unique. You know, I, and I I feel like the way that today's NFL game is being played in sub with pace and space, I think it opens up to more positions presenting value. So I'm not I'm not super rigid. I'm not drafting kickers and punters in the first round. I'm probably not picking a running back in the first round. But I don't know that these are super hard and fast rules based on the way that today's game has evolved. 
you know, it used to be, well, you can find starting guards in the fourth and fifth round. Okay. I mean, that's, that's great. But if there's a guy that you believe can come in and be an impact starter at guard or center in the first round, then pick him. I think you can find value in how that player performs at a non-premium position, right? If you get an impact player at a non-premium position, I think it's very helpful. Kind of makes the your team unique. It, it makes, you know, if everybody's good at the same spots, well, then everybody should have an easy time playing everybody. What's hard is when you face a team like, or I'm going to use the Atlanta Falcons, but a player like Kyle Pitts, who's just a really unique player that's hard to deal with. Think about the Carolina Panthers and a guy like Jeremy Chin at safety and how many different ways that he can impact the football game. How about these really good linebackers? So I don't know. I don't know if I, I'm hard and fast on the premium positions in the first round. Again, no kickers, punters, long snappers, probably not running backs, but everything else I think is on the table, especially as you get deeper into the first round where are you going to pick up, are you going to pick the eighth best corner because it's a premium position over the best tight end? Just because of positional value? When that tight end is that much better than that corner is? I don't know. I, I think you get in trouble when you do that. So consider me a little bit more on the open-minded side of things. And I think that the NFL is balancing out in a lot of ways too, like you mentioned. All right, folks, that is going to do it for us here today on the podcast. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. We're spoke, uh, we're supposed to hear from Brandon Bean at the NFL scouting combine on Tuesday. And uh, so if that's the case, we will probably turn that into a podcast reflecting on his comments on Wednesday. So uh, the NFL scouting combine is this week as well. So there's going to be some Potentially good nuggets of information to come out of it, and we'll certainly reflect on all of it here on the podcast, so don't miss anything. Make sure that you're subscribed. We'd love it if you took a second to rate, review, and share the podcast. Have a great rest of your day, and I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.